first reading is from Psalm 47, um, and that can be found on page 403 of your pew Bibles. Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. How awesome is the Lord Most High, the great King over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved, Salah. God has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. The second reading is from Acts chapter 10, verse 1 to 35. Um, It's on page 778. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke of him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was also known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you are looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with both of them and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. 
Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against your law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit with him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. This is the word of the Lord. If you were tempted to just close that passage from Acts, let me encourage you to reopen it. Uh, If you are uh, visiting amongst us, we've been working our way through the book of Acts. A great book, a book of excitement, a book of what Jesus, after rising, continued to do through his people in the early church. A book about the message of, of life and hope that started in a small town and spread throughout the world. A book to excite and challenge us, but also give us comfort. Why don't I pray for us uh, as we spend time looking on it that God would speak to us clearly. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we uh, thank you for this great and glorious day. We thank you for this day of uh, joy and celebration. And we thank you that we gather now here in your presence. And we ask that we might gather here in such a way that we are keen to listen to everything you have to say to us. Uh, Father, we ask that you would take the distractions away from our mind and help us to Uh, See clearly what you are like and by your spirit reshape us to be people who live in such a way that pleases and honours you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Whatever advances we've made as a society, and we've made many, uh, favouritism and prejudice are still alive and well. A Princeton University study showed that uh, tall people this will be good news for some, uh, earn 10% more than those four inches shorter than them. Uh, in Britain, the chances of reaching a director's boardroom are increased by 3% if a man is uh, six foot two rather than being five foot ten. Uh, another study has identified what's called the halo effect. Uh, the halo effect is that, that someone is a, who is a viewed as a, an attractive person is assumed to be uh, better socially and have greater intelligence. An Australian study found that uh, children from certain racial minorities faced lower teacher expectations in the classroom. Prejudice and favouritism are alive and well. And we don't need to go and find scientific studies for that, do we? Uh, We know our own reactions. A person walks by and in a split second we've made assumptions about them. We've we've assessed them. We've worked out where they fit and what we think. We get on a train and instantly we work out who we're willing to sit next to and who we're just going to walk past and hope for a better spot further down. We answer the phone and before we know why they've called, 
Uh, there are some people we're glad to hear at the other end and others not. Now, as much as we've advanced, uh, the seeds of prejudice and favouritism lie deep. Uh, and for some of us, that, that actually scratches at a wound. It picks at a scab. It, you know, we've felt that rejection for no reason. I've been made aware recently, uh, people I know who have been feeling the effects of ageism, uh, older experienced workers who just get knocked back in job interview after job interview. Uh, someone told me of being uh, out with a, a friend who, uh, let's say, is not generally esteemed in, by the broader community. Uh, and just by being with them, it was clear that people looked differently at them. You know, for some of us, we, we would love to see prejudice done away with. But in all honesty, uh, some of us deep down wouldn't really act to get rid of a system that's basically dealt as a good hand. Now, we, we, some of us, many of us, have been the beneficiaries of favouritism. Now, we've enjoyed getting good jobs because we've known people. Uh, you know, we, we didn't seek to exploit the situation that other people find us dashing and handsome, but, you know, we've just simply gone along with the, the benefits that, that prejudice affords us. So favouritism and prejudice are alive and well, but not before God. So last week in Acts 9, where we, where we saw how, how the news of Jesus and what he has done uh, means that enemies, those who are opposed to can actually be overcome in grace. Uh, but the Acts we read of this morning, of 10 and 11, make it clear that the news of Jesus dismantles all favouritism and prejudice. Uh, two points I want us to hang on to this morning. First is that God does not show favouritism. And secondly, in Christ we must not. First, that God does not show favouritism. Uh, Peter declares that key verse is 10 verse 34. That's the verse that holds everything together. Uh, he says, I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism. You know, it, it's the summation of what's going on in all that, that action and events. Uh, at first glance, as Karen read it to you, you might have thought, you know, here's a story about two guys, Peter and Cornelius, two culturally different guys being brought together. And yeah, it is, and yet they're not the key players. Uh, the way it's written, the key player, it's a story about God and what he is like. Uh, you run through the passage and it's all God's initiative that drives it. Uh, there's lots of supernatural events that are recorded. So in 10 verse 3, this God-fearing Cornelius, uh, 3 in the afternoon, the time of prayer, and he's visited by an angel. And the angel commands him, you know, send for this guy called Simon, uh, Peter. Uh, he can, all the way through, it's God, the, this angel who is controlling the action. Uh, the, the following day in verse 11, uh, a vision's given to Peter. Uh, he's hungry, he's praying, uh, and he gets this vision of all these animals, this kind of feast uh, on a blanket of food that culturally, religiously is off the menu for a good Jew, uh, and a voice commands him to eat in verse 14. Peter recognises who it is, surely not Lord. He knows it's the Lord addressing him, making, declaring clean what was unclean. Again, it's God who controls these events. Uh, in verse 19, it's the Spirit's prompting that means that Peter goes and answers the door to Cornelius' messages. Now, over and over again, the idea is it's the supernatural, making it obvious that it is God who's at work. This is a story really about what God is like, not just people. Now, that's what Peter comes to understand, verse 28. Have a look at that. God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. It's God who has revealed it 
Again, in verse 34, that key verse, I now realise how true it is. God does not show favouritism. God is speaking into the the, the common experience of prejudice and barriers and favouritism. And God is saying a resounding no to all of them. There's a massive point in history, uh, culturally, religiously, there was a a huge divide between Jews and non-Jews or Gentiles. There's a key turning point. God had said his his news had to go out to all the nations and it was being blocked. But no, no, in Acts 10, God God is not denying that there are differences and demanding a a monoculture. His point is, it doesn't make a difference, your culture before him. You know, your culture, your background, your education, your life experience, your appearance, whatever it is that you normally get defined by or you shape yourself by, whatever prejudices for or against you, they are irrelevant. God does not show favouritism. There's not particularly new information about God. Uh, thousands of years before this event in, in Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy 10, it says, For the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. He shows no partiality. You know, God has never been prejudiced. He never has played favourites. It's not new news, but it's so quickly forgotten. A few years ago, at, um, when I was at university, I was speaking to some Hindu guys, I remember, uh, about Christianity. It was a, it was a hard conversation. Uh, it wasn't hard because they weren't nice. They are actually really lovely guys. Um, and they were actually far more willing to sp- chat about spiritual things than many others. But they had it in their minds, uh, and they said it, as much to me that that Christianity was a Western religion. I don't even bother going to the fact that it didn't start in the West. That, that was irrelevant. That, sadly for them, you know, they saw as Indians, it just wasn't for them. Deep down, they saw that the God of the Bible, the God of Jesus, was one who played favourites. Even sadder, I've heard uh, professing Christians uh, give a reason as to why they don't share their faith with others on the grounds that. Well, they've got their own religion. Now, tragically, they've fallen into the trap of thinking that God is somehow prejudiced, somehow partial, somehow plays favourites when he doesn't. Acts 10 smashes that kind of prejudice, all because of the news of Jesus. That's what Peter goes on to, to speak about after his realisation. 10 verse 34, uh, we kind of cut the reading off, but let's flow a little on. Uh, Peter began to speak in verse 34. I, I realise how true it is that God doesn't show favouritism. He accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what's right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. Not Lord of some, Lord of all. Yeah, and Peter goes on and he speaks about uh, Jesus' life and how Jesus went and, and healed and released those who were under the power of the devil. Not with prejudice, but all. He didn't play favourites. Uh, and, and his death under the curse of God, only to rise again and be appointed the judge of the living and the dead. All the living and the dead, without prejudice. The conclusion, verse 43 of Peter's talk. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes in him. Everyone. And not the people with the right pedigree, not, not, not those with the good culture, but everyone. In the climax of this chapter, this, this, in verse 44 and following, there's this, this final supernatural act. Verse 44, while Peter was speaking these words, 
The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message uh, and they experienced ecstatic tongues and languages. You know, it's a key moment in history because these Gentiles, those who seemed like they were outsiders, actually experienced the same thing that the ultimate insiders, the, the closest disciples of Jesus, experienced. So this Acts 10 is like a, a Pentecost for Gentiles, which had first been received in Acts 2. They have exactly the same experience because God does not play favourites. That's why we read in Psalm 47, God is the King of kings. He is the Lord of all the nations. And like Peter, we need to come to realise what that means, that God does not show favouritism. A two-sided implication for us in relating to God. First side, because God doesn't show favouritism, we don't fear rejection. In your quieter and perhaps uh, more reflective moments, you may worry you don't have the things that would make God partial to you. You might worry that you don't have that kind of acceptability that make, would make him favourable to you. Well, the, the great news is God is not partial to anyone like that. He's just lavish in his welcome. He doesn't play favourites or hold prejudices. He's, a, he's an indiscriminate welcomer. One of my favourite stories Jesus told is in Luke 14 where he talks about the, the heavenly banquet and a party he's throwing, this, this abundant invitation and it's not those who would have made the, the inner circle of society and gossip magazines to get invited, but the blind and the lame and the crippled, those who have experienced prejudice and the bad side of it all their lives, they are invited in. Now, I've had the privilege of being a, a member of uh, 10 different churches in my life. Uh, some have been in Sydney, some country, some overseas. Uh, I've been in, in wealthy suburbs like the eastern suburbs and, and here. I've been in uh, perhaps less salubrious suburbs out in Sydney's west. And what I've loved is seeing the reality God does not show favourites. I've been to church with any number of ethnicities. I've been in church with those on welfare as well as those who have been successful corporately. I've been to church with those who have been Christian all their days and those who have come far off. You know, even if you, if you have the opportunity to stay and get to know one another's story, just of, of us who are gathered here today, you'll start realising God does not play favourites. And so there is no need for you to fear you might be rejected. Of course, the flip side of his lack of prejudice is a warning. Beware self-confidence. So God's acceptance of people is only uh, through their, message, their response to the message of Jesus. It's only through their willingness to submit to the judge of all and accept his work to forgive their sins. There isn't special treatment for those who operate on self-confidence. Now, self-confidence is, is so natural for many of us, isn't it? I was speaking uh, the other day to a friend who's in Christchurch he talked about how his prayer life changed fairly radically uh, because of the earthquake. You know, he said on the Monday before, his prayer life was you know, moderate, fairly self-interested. Uh, post-quake, humble, often, directed on big issues well behind him. Yeah, and we all slip so easily into self-confidence. And this is the, perhaps the greatest sadness of, of our broader community, our, the Australian culture. Now, most Aussies don't think they're perfect. 
but they still feel like they could stand before the judge of the living and the dead without the assistance of Christ. But God doesn't play favourites. He doesn't do prejudice that way. Now, the striking part of Cornelius' story is not that it's this bad guy becomes good. He hasn't got one of those kind of stories of, you know, yes, and then I went off the rails and I was, you know, involved in this life of crime and, you know, thankfully I came back from, you know, being in the gutter. I realised, no, that's not his story. He's a good, living, virtuous guy who comes to accept Christ rather than being self-confident. Now, here is a challenge for us good, living people. Now, before God, it is not enough. He won't favour good people who trust themselves. For our God does not show favourites. And the more we realise that, the more we start to understand how it impacts us. Our second point, that in Christ we mustn't show favouritism. Both Peter and Cornelius had to learn that. Peter had to learn to stop his prejudice. Uh, as much as Peter had been a preacher of Jesus, you know, saviour of all people, deep down he just didn't grasp it. You know, it wasn't that Peter didn't think that Cornelius could be saved. If you go back to his sermon in Acts 2, yep, God is God of all nations. No, he just didn't think Cornelius was in the same circle as him. You know, Peter still saw Cornelius as, in some way, unclean, not fit to associate with fully. At the end of chapter 9, just before the bit Karen read to us, uh, Peter is dealing with massive uncleanness. So uh, there's an incident in 9.32, Peter meets a guy, Anais. Uh, he's been racked with sickness. You know, a good Jew would be made unclean by disease. But in the name of Jesus, Peter heals him. And then he goes in 9.38 uh, to the, the bedside of this dead woman, Tabitha, a good woman, but dead. Uh, an association with death, again, would make a good Jew unclean. Through prayer, she's raised. Uh, in 943, Peter, right at the end, Peter is even willing to stay in the house of a guy who's a tanner. Uh, tanners, we don't hear much of them these days, they basically deal with dead bodies, dead carcasses all day as they make leather. Uh, again, it would have made him unclean, but he's happy to hang around with them. But then we meet Cornelius, this lovely, God-fearing, generous, prayerful man, but he hadn't gone the whole way to be Jewish. You know, he was, in fact, a significant leader in the, the occupying forces in Caesarea. He's kind of one of the key players of oppressing Peter's people, a major Gentile in a town that was built in the, for the honour of the Roman emperor. Yet Peter might be able to accept that Jesus could save him, but, but associate with him? You know, the, the way it's written is he's trying to bring out the difference. Peter's not called by his Greek name, but his Jewish name, Simon, all the way through. And when Peter is told to eat... Uh, in his vision, he refuses, surely not, Lord. Now, the issue is not food, it's fellowship. You know, the intimacy of, of sharing a meal with someone, inviting them to your home or, or being invited to theirs, you know, sharing a meal, opening your life, saying publicly, this person's a friend of mine. Yeah, Peter knows that Jesus saves, but he's just hanging on to prejudice. God's reply to him in, Verse 15 is, um, is quite literally very blunt. You know, what God cleansed, do not you defile. That is, who are you, Peter, to tell me who's clean and not clean? You know, Peter has to learn that God has no favourites and so Peter cannot hold prejudice. On the other side, Cornelius has to learn as well. He has to learn to get rid of his favouritism. Uh, do you notice how Cornelius 
reacted to Peter in verse 25? Uh, he fell down in reverence, uh, literally to worship. Now, after all, uh, Peter was Jesus' best friend for the past three years. I mean, Peter was the, the, the first one to meet the risen Christ. Peter was the first one to preach publicly. He was kind of a, a celebrity in the circles. You know, Cornelius falls down in awe of Peter the Great. But Peter quickly lifts him up, points out the obvious, Peter is just another man. See, they both need to learn. Uh, God's lack of favouritism changes both. And P- Peter has to learn, don't treat Cornelius like a dog. And Cornelius has to learn, don't treat Peter like a god. Prejudice and favouritism are both gone in Christ. That's true for us still today. Uh, James writes, as, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favouritism. Two things it might mean for us. First, today, acknowledge your sinful prejudice and favouritism. You know, deep within us is a prejudice that makes us step away from some and a favouritism that makes us biased to others. And it took Peter a long time to grasp this. Yeah, yeah, he'd been there when Jesus told him to make disciples of all nations, but actually he hadn't left Jerusalem. He didn't really want to go. Uh, His knee-jerk reaction in 10 verse 14, when God gives him a specific command, 10 14, surely not, Lord. No way. Uh, He's still struggling with it in verse 28. Um, Acts 11, we're not going to read it, you can read it later, uh, goes on to see Peter goes and reports all of what happened back to those in Jerusalem, how Gentiles are fully included. But we read later in the Bible in Galatians how Paul had to correct him on it again because he'd come under pressure and his old prejudice came back and he stopped eating with Gentile Christians. You know, it is hard to face up to the truth that we might be people of prejudice. As Martin Luther said, baptism is a once-in-a-lifetime experience that takes our whole life to complete. There's no point pretending it's not there. We need to work and grow. You know, our church is not immune. Um, I was talking to a homeless guy in our neighbourhood, and he was really angry with uh, someone at our church. Uh, a church member had uh, said to him, oh, sorry, I've, I've got to be somewhere else, uh, and got out of a conversation. Uh, this man saw him 15 minutes later sitting on a park bench on his own. He just excused himself because of prejudice, and he was caught out. You know, in the same way, you know, we can all play favourites even here at church. Now, there are those who you can't wait to talk to and those who you kind of those whose word you'll take and believe no matter what they say and won't question and others you won't believe no matter what they say. Now, this week as you as you pass someone, as you evaluate them in that instant, run these words through your mind. God does not show favoritism. And if you see it in yourself at that moment, confess it. Acknowledge it. In Christ be forgiven. The second implication is we must seek fellowship without favouritism. I think city life panders to prejudice. You know, suburbs breaks up class, break up classes and ethnicity and, and the city. There's so many people in the city that, you know, you're already too busy to keep up with the people you like. Uh, and so you've got this great excuse that you never have to cross a barrier and, and relate to the people who you, you prejudice. You know, cities pander to prejudice. But we mustn't let there be barriers to gospel fellowship. As a church, we need to, to keep adapting to, to welcome others in. Uh, a church in Sydney 
had the recent challenge of um, a Dinka congregation, a Sudanese congregation, speak the language Dinka, it's a particular tribe. Um, they're officially connected to you know, the broader church, but they refuse to do anything with them. But, but even more dangerously, their, their independence allowed them to maintain their tribal prejudice. Uh, so within the Dinka congregation, the, the old tribal rivalries and deference and favouritism thrived. And so they encouraged, the leadership of the church actually encouraged them to break up and go to other local churches to try and create fellowship that didn't have barriers. You know, we, we need to do the same. We need to keep opening up ways to welcome others. I think our name tags are useful in a very small way. Uh, you know, just knowing someone else's name helps break down if you're inclined to be prejudiced against them. Uh, and likewise, the fact that they're all these kind of same top quality sticker, uh, you know, reduces the favouritism in case there were those who have regularly got the nice plastic embossed ones. But go further. You know, why not have a meal with someone at church where there's a natural barrier? I know it's awkward saying this because um, I know that for the next week, any invite you'll get from someone else at church, you're going to be thinking, have they got a prejudice against me? <laughs> why, why am I the one? <sighs> All right, so here's the amnesty. You don't have to do it this week. Okay? Surprise them. They'll be wondering for months. Because we've got to be honest, favouritism and prejudice are alive and well, but they are not before God. And as it used to be said, God is no respecter of persons. And may it be that we realise just how true it is that God does not show favouritism. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we... Uh, thank you that you are not open to bribes, that you are not partial, that you are not one who plays favourites. Uh, we thank you that your welcome is lavish and you welcome all and you disregard the barriers we put up. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus died for all and is Lord of all and will return one day. And we pray that our trust would be in him alone and not ourselves and not our background. And Father, may that trust transform the way we relate to others. Uh, may you expose in us our prejudice, our favouritism, that we might turn from it. Help us to love and welcome like you do. In Jesus' name, amen.